Studios, we are back. This is Caribbean Power Lunch, where we feature Black-owned businesses. Today, we are talking with my good friend, a loyal fan and member of Podcast World, Elena Dyer of Hashtag TechBee. Elena, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good tonight. Happy birthday, Elena. Oh, thank you, belated. Belated. Oh, by one day. Yeah. How was your weekend, Elena? Well, it was pretty packed with everything tech bay. I sort of forgot that I was actually celebrating my 27, 28, 29 <laughs> uh, birthday. So you had three birthdays in one? I had about seven birthdays in one. Wow. Yeah, it was. It played out in a really good way, in a really positive and very productive and self-fulfilling way. So I'm really excited about the next installments of Tech Bay and also what's in store for this entire year. Was. Right. Because last night was March 3rd, you know, your 20-something birthday. <laughs> your 20-something birthday. And you had Tech Bay installment number two. Yeah. Right. You had the first one back in November. Yeah, November 2017. I was the actual release of Tech Bay, the first installment. And so it's basically every quarter. So in June, we're going to have Tech Bay installments. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, you're not having one in April? No, we're not. Okay, so every quarter you're having Tech Bay. All right. In one sentence. Okay, two as is your birthday and it's yeah. not your loyal fan, right? Can you tell us what Tech Bay is about? Well, in one sentence, and it's going to start from now, it's really highlighting the voices of female innovators slash disruptors, slash thinkers, doers in Trinidad and Tobago and essentially the region. All right. Just the females, right? Yeah. For now, it's just the females. And I think we'll bring this up a little later on. Without just the highlighting of the voices and the stories, it's really bringing to the forefront these women who basically just exist in the landscape and we're walking past them every day or we see them really on a, a preliminary level. And then we realize that they have so much more to offer or so much more beneath the surface. So I think that's what the main thing is about, is it being a platform for the women. So it's female Because you all have all, yeah, you all have all their platforms. Y'all. What are our platforms? Everything. It, it is not, yeah, it's everywhere. <laughs> I've had a lot of people ask me if TechBay is just for women, if it's like a for women's only, solely estrogen ovary session. Wow. Oh, that's scientific. <laughs> yeah, but it is, in fact, we want everyone, we want the woman to be the center and the focus of, but we do want the audience to be both men and women, to celebrate and to be part of the community. Okay. So this is female entrepreneurs or the female thought leaders? I think it's a medley, really, and truly. It started off, in my head, it started off as disruptors anyone in the space in their individual industries who are making even if it's a revolutionary change that's great but even if it is somewhat incremental i think i want to hear this story and i'm just pushing it on to everybody else in Trinidad and tobago and to a large extent the world so we have different industries and you do not have to be a business owner you do not have to be an entrepreneur i've had for the first and you were there so the first I was there at both ones. Okay, he got the medal. Um, <laughs> so for the first installment, we had a researcher who was a biochemist. And when she hears this, she's going to call me and tell me I'm not a biochemist. That was Fallon Lachman Singh. So she doesn't own her own business, but she's in fact a researcher. So it's not solely geared towards business owners. Okay. Yeah. So let's get into who you are. I think you have a nice, interesting story here. Can we just talk about Tech Bay whole day? <laughs> we love to do that, but we need the audience to know who they're talking to, yeah. right? Who they're listening to. You did a bachelor's in economics. So we go from a bachelor's in economics to hashtag Tech, tech Bay. And there's a hashtag. Yes, yes. copyrighted hashtag. <laughs> so even before my bachelor's, I am a South girl. I went to... St. Joseph's Convent in San Fernando for five years. And then I flew out, shipped out, <laughs> migrated. You went on a ship? No, I <laughs> moved to, by myself, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and I stayed with my aunt for about a few months, and then I moved out into the world. So from Atlanta, Georgia, to the world? Yeah. So how well, far is the world from Atlanta, well, Georgia? compared to Point Forte, and everything outside was like a, a really huge 
the diaspora itself. Big up to everybody in point fourteen. Big up. <laughs> so I got accepted to Spelman College. That's like the Black Ivy League. Yes, ma'am. All right, um, I went to the Caribbean Ivy League. Was that University of the West Indies? Well, we'll get to that just now. <laughs> so yeah, I went to Spelman. I graduated with a bachelor's in economics, and then I moved back to Trinidad. I was pretty young when I graduated. How young? I was 20 years old when I graduated. 20, okay. Um, so you were like a prodigy or genius, or you just started early on? No, when I, when I, I didn't do form six or anything like that. I did a year in high school in the U.S. just so that I could turn 16. So I could basically become acclimatized to not just the climate, but the actual socio-climate. I started university pretty early. I graduated. We're four years over there. I think UE is three years. UE is three years. Right, so... You get us all quick. Once you don't fail. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So, I did the four years and I graduated with a bachelor's in economics. Played around, came back home. I got an interview at Clico a few days after I came back and I was hired on the spot for the management training program. What? No, but I think they were now started. I think somebody decided that they wanted a management training program and they wanted to just get everyone from university and I still had my accent so I think they probably you had an accent I had an accent bad boy we sound like a convent <laughs> convent a convent accent I had the fresh water they couldn't understand me at yes. all so yeah so I did that for, I think like two years and then I got hired by an SAP partner based in Miami. But what did you do for Clico though? So management training programs, I guess the vanilla version of it is that they try to groom you for middle management, upper management. And so they basically rotated us throughout the company so we could see from scratch what was going on. Or we would mirror an existing manager in some cases. But what happened, and I think this is what led to the segue into me now, Tech. Yeah, because obviously I'm not technology, but Clico was moving their enterprise resource planning solution, their ERP, to SAP, which is the, one of the largest ERP solutions in the world. Very expensive. SAP is like, that's like a cloud service? Or? You have on-premise, but you have cloud, but it's basically the entire platform for your financials, your HR, your customer service. Everything runs on that engine. So SAP is, it's the equivalent to Oracle. I don't know if people know Oracle. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know Oracle. So it's red versus blue. SAP is, or SAP. Some people know it as SAP. They're the blue ones and and Oracle is the red one. Oh, so you play for the blue team? I played for the blue team. Okay. I now play for the the red team. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Well, technically Tech Bay is pink, so I do pink now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So basically what happened, they were doing this big implementation and they brought a whole set of folks from Miami to do the implementation because we didn't have anyone in Trinidad or the Caribbean who could do the implementation for finance and finance is like 10 different modules. So they brought these guys down and I worked directly with this company. And while they were there, this company, I could say it now, they poached me from Clico. Nothing wrong with that. So now nothing wrong with it because it's legally <laughs> illegally no because you know how a lot of Trinidad companies they have like the non-compete clauses and you had a non-compete clause no I didn't have a non-compete the implementation firms had basically a non-poaching clause which okay. would make sense because right. they would be so intricately involved with the employees so they'll know the skill sets right apparently they didn't care um, so <laughs> I got hired they sent me training in London to become fully certified in strategic enterprise management, which is like the balance scorecard and management cockpits. And basically that was my first foray into business intelligence and analytics. But I think back then the focus was not really on analytics because that was seen more as fluff or luxury almost. It was like an add-on module as opposed to what is now seen because data is like the new oil. Now, back then... Nobody cared about data and what Clico was sitting on or what, well, bounce breweries. Because from Clico, I moved to this company, this SAP partner. And for two years, I worked up the region. Well, for three years. Um, but my longest stint for a year and some was at Banks Holdings. So I flew out there and I got placed at Banks Breweries, 
for a really long time, which was fun. Yeah, it sounded like fun. I want to go to yeah. bands for, for a few years. Yeah, it was. It, I, I learned a lot. And you got a lot of beer, right? I got a lot. It was someone mandated that you drink beer, but you not drink anything else. So You can't drink rum? If it came from banks... You know, like if it did, banks make rum. No, I don't think so. I can look there. I can no. look. No, but I'm, I'm sure you could have drunk. It's like here working for Massey, and they would prefer that you shop at Massey stores. You know, so it's some people are a lot more strict. Like you can't go. You know, it's really the culture, right? And they want you loyal to their brands, and especially if you're shareholders of the brand itself, of the company itself. It would make sense that you are supporting it. So I worked at Banksbury's implementing their. SAP SEM strategic enterprise management modules. It was really enlightening as well as educational for me because this was my first actual implementation live site. So far, really, I was somewhat cocooned in Quico, so that was my first exposure, and then straight to London where it was just a classroom. You know, it really oh. wasn't interacting with angry clients or union members. Or oh, you like the angry clients and union members? Well, I was thrown into it, so I had to figure it out. And um, Trinis and Bajans. And, and they were really surprised because I was still pretty young back then. Very, very young. I know you're 27 now, but how old were you then? <laughs> um, I, okay, I'm in my 30s now, but I'm not going to lie. I think I was 24, 25 when I got my first consulting gig. I did pretty well. But the thing is that Banks Holdings is not just Banks Bay. So they have Pine Hill Dairies. Oh, right, right, so right, I right. Drank a I lot love of, their cherry juice. I drank a lot of that. Right. They have some yoga. They have some tasty something. Twists. So I, I got a lot of that. And then, you know what happened? I looked around and I built a lot of really strong friendships that I still have to this day. But I looked around. I looked to my left. I looked to my right. And I realized that it's only Spanish-speaking people around me. Literally no native English speakers. So I came back home on one of my um, one of my flybacks. And I said, you know what? There must be a way. A light bulb went yeah. off. It was a scary light bulb, but nonetheless. I didn't have a business then. I didn't have a company, an actual company per se. I just basically went online, sap.com, clicked on partners, contact us. And from a Gmail account, I emailed SAP, like, like SAP. I didn't even know what type of partnerships I was interested in. I knew that some would require a lot more capital investment up front, at least some sunk costs on my part. I just knew that whatever this company was doing, we could probably do it here in Trinidad for the English speaking program. So after some time, I realized that I wanted to you know what, let me educate or train and get these English-speaking folks certified. You know, like, I could have people from Trinidad certified in SAP and then afterwards, Petrotrin or any of these companies, because a lot of companies were actually buying into SAP. A lot of energy companies. A lot of companies throughout. You have oil and gas, financial, manufacturing and distribution to a larger extent back then in Trinidad and Tobago were SAP clients. And they would bring them down from the US, the UK, Central, South America to come and do implementation. Do you know how expensive they are? Like on a daily rate as well as PDM and time. It's really expensive, right? I can't even imagine. The implementation cost is probably on par with the licenses cost. So I got that up and running and that is the booth of Futech. So you started charging them that daily rate. I started charging. No, 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 no. I didn't do that. I, I, that was a different type of partnership. What I did, I became a partner with them and I set up a school basically. And every time I drive by Stevens Road, corner of Stevens and, and Long Cycle Road, okay. I always remember like that. Futech right there. So basically what would happen is that I would get all of the material from SAP Companies would send 20 folks. They would come to FUTEC. I would have a trainer. Early o'clock, I would have had to bring folks in. I would have had to bring the trainer in. It's sort of paradoxical, but to train the trainees. And that's basically the academy. So you were, let's say, 24, 25 years right. old. You left your comfortable job that was flying you across to England and Barbados and giving you free 
Nate. I'm paying me in US, yeah. And paying you in US dollars. You can't get US dollars right now. <laughs> I, to, uh, to be. I should call them back now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you did that. And you started... P-Texas. You jumped out. So you, you quit your... I quit the consultant company. So you were brave since then? Well, I was brave, but I also have the padding of like an angel investor. And in that case, it was my father because he has Aww. always been in a very weird... My parents... Again, from Point Fortin, still in Point Fortin, pseudo-retired right now. They had us very young. They had us really very young because my parents are in their 50s now. Fellas young? Yeah. They've retired, but they've always been very hard workers. I think growing up, all I've ever known is business. Like, hard work business. Restaurants and ice cream parlors. We didn't have, like, summer vacations. Like, you go... Also, both of your parents are entrepreneurs? Yeah, that was the main thing. Like, we grew up with a certain work ethic that if you want something, you basically have to work for it, no matter what. So, like, summer vacations, it was either going by grams, but Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, I'm like, we would work at the ice cream parlor. And I'm talking about, like, eight, seven, eight years old. We would be watching the girls, making sure they don't steal anything. So... <laughs> what would you all do? Yeah, they, they were scared of us. But, um... <laughs> I think that is what basically ingrained in me the type of entrepreneurial drive and spirit because I saw it happening. I guess if I was exposed to a more routine or, or within the box academic or technical lifestyle, I think maybe that's where I would have been, you know? I could have probably been a doctor or an engineer or something, but my parents... He's a businesswoman, girl. A business. You know, that's good because, you know, not many parents actually teach their children entrepreneurship. A lot yeah. of parents teach their children, hey, study your yeah. book, go and be a doctor, go and be a lawyer, go and be a accountant. Yeah. And if that don't work, you could go and be a banker like Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. all right, so I looked at her, I looked at her YouTube video. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. No, I know, and I'm scared. <laughs> I looked at her YouTube video back in 2011, you know, when you were... At your office, oh, boss lady, yeah, Futech, you said Futech is your baby. And the people who did the interview, I think it was a Caribbean Access Professional, yeah, they referred yeah, to yes. you as role model uh-uh. for August 2011. I get that. Sarah. Yeah, you can see it? I'll send it to you later. No, don't <laughs> I'll link it up in the show notes. No, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. But you have a quote. Kevin, what are you doing? There's a quote? There's a quote. Okay. I do my research. You know, when I interview people, even if they're my close friends, I do my research on them. And I take my notes. I stay up till late in the night. I drink rum. I do the whole night. I go the whole night. So your quote said, and I'm reading now, you never want to have to be the first to break down the barriers. And that was from a lecture you did in entrepreneurship at Spellman. Yeah, well, I think I've thrown that out. I think that's a very scared approach because I remember using that throughout because during that time as well, I would have done some mentorship programs or people would ask me to come and talk to schools and stuff like that about leadership and entrepreneurship. And I would always say there was a lecturer who said he never wanted to be the first, right? Because you'd basically have to invest. There would be a lot more sunk cost that you would have to absorb because other folks never did it before, so they never really invested in the education of the persons, of the audience and the target market, up on the infrastructure and different things like that. I think that's crap now. I think I've grown into um Be bold. And and take it. Like but again, there's a balance. Like my friends and, and people who know me well enough know that there's a balance with this entrepreneurial side the balance with the academia, right? So there are models that drive, like, me. You know, like, even if it comes across, like, oh, she's doing something else again, like, where this come from? It's usually because I've looked at the market or I've done, like, some kind of swap analysis or something like that. Right. So a good one that I I do is um, Portman's Five Forces, and basically... Portman's Five Forces, Portman's yes, Five yes, Forces yes, that yeah. you see... Um, how difficult it is. It really yeah. looks at how difficult it is to Yeah, look at the different factors. Yeah, so it's a, a business. 
sustainably competitive right. in industry and continue to make profits. So yeah. I think you look at what bioforces, how hard yeah. it is to get in. Uh-uh. You look at uh, the yeah. substitutes, right. you look at what other people are doing. And I don't believe in business plans. My father still does, so I probably do it every time I come up with an idea. I probably have to do a business plan. To get them to invest or just... Yeah, to get them to invest. Okay. But that's the whole thing. Like Again, friends would be like, how often do you do PowerPoint? Like, I think from like, since I was 10 years old, I was doing PowerPoint presentations. So wait, you do a PowerPoint presentation and you put on a suit and you go in front of your dad and say, Daddy, can I have half an hour of your time? Yeah. And you... No, I'll, it ha- I'll have to make an appointment and drive down point. But even growing up, it was convincing them that we thought it through and we know, like, if this fails, what happens? How is he making back his money? Do I have to do anything? Basically. But I really don't believe in not being the face anymore. Be brave. and Be a trailblazer. Trail. Trailblazer. Trailblazer. Pioneer. Yeah, but not a stupid one, you know? Like, do your research and make sure that you're going to make some money. Or even if it's not profitability, that is, which is crazy, but wait, that's with tech right now. It's not profitable. <laughs> even if your end game is not one of financial measure. Just make sure that what you're putting in, you can somehow reap the benefits, you know? Okay. So why did Futech cease in 2012, though? For several reasons. And I think you'll come up with this later on as well. I get bored with certain things if I see that it has reached its plateau, an apex of some sort. Um, But no. Before I get to the, the fluffy part, the realistic part is that I sent in an email to SAP to start it from at gmail.com. They watched me like, who are you and why? I don't trust this. Like, you know? But then I developed a really good relationship with a core team of people within SAP. Over the five years, that team moved to Oracle, moved to Microsoft, moved to all over the place. And there were some brand new faces who didn't really buy into the Caribbean as much as these guys, right? So the margins also changed a lot. I was actually making, I was allowed to make up to 60% margins per student with the other guys that I knew. When this new team came on from SAP, they brought it down to 11 or 12%. There was absolutely no way. Yeah. So there's absolutely no way that I could have, because remember, this is a brick and mortar. There's an actual building that used to be Futech. So that was really tight. And then, funnily enough, when I did my research, I knew that for quarter one, I needed to do 107 persons. And by the second or third year, I had already covered that. So not for the first quarter. Like for the first year, I knew it was like 100 and something persons I needed to certify. And then by the second year, I had already covered that within the first quarter, the second quarter. And it was really like... Nobody else wanted to become certified. Like, I couldn't find the market anymore because I had, in fact, saturated the market too soon. Because I would have had Patrick sending, literally sending, like, 20-something persons down one tranche to get certified. And you would lead these classes? I did one class for, for BI, for Business Intelligence. But I actually had to bring guys in from the US or the UK. And that itself was expensive. So that became really costly. And then... So that's the financial part, but like the personal side of it, I got bored, like with the journey and. Well, I guess I mean, if your goal was to get to X number of people in Trinidad, right? Certified, and there's only so many people in Trinidad who need to be certified. Yeah. So I mean, I guess that is really interesting. It's probably like more of a short term project. Yeah. Well, or a medium term project. It was medium term because it was five years. I went up the islands as well because I did training in Barbados. I did in Suriname and one specific client in Jamaica on a recurrent basis. But it just wasn't... Yeah. Okay. DM Box. Yeah. Tell us about DM Box. 2010 to when? It was 2010. That's what I read. <laughs> that felt like yesterday, boy. So, again, I was bored. <laughs> I was bored with So what, what about Netflix? What about... Um, I do that all the time. I'm, I'm a multitasker, but... Um, TM Box in 2010. Funny enough, what had happened? What had happened was, I was driving down south with a friend of mine, and I was complaining. I was like, oh God, I'm so bored. There's nothing to do. And I don't think I'm 
living up to my potential. I'm like, okay, so what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to do a subscription box. There are no other subscription boxes. So just out of the blue, while on your way to point point four, so was a I know it's a long drive. I know it's a long yeah. drive. Point four ten five. But so on your way to point, yeah, you just decide out of the blue. You just got that idea. No, no, no. For Christmas, because this I think this was like in March or something like that. I gave a friend a subscription for a, a box, like a men's box or something like that. Okay. Um, a men's box. Yeah. So it's it's most of these subscription boxes have themes. So there's a there's like a guys club or a gentlemen's oh, like, oh, like, box like a kind of thing. Trump club and all these. Yeah, guys. like beer gang. They would have something that every month you'll get a box. So that's what a subscription box is. So really and truly, I was bored out of my mind. And let's say that was March. In June, I had a lunch because are you those sick? Uh, because again, I would get bored. I I tell people I have ADD. So when you get bored, you start a business? That means your, your parents' training really paid off. Well, yes. But also, when I get bored, I realize it's not, oh, I'm bored, let me start something. When I get bored, I step back and say, why are you bored? Do something with yourself. And then I start a business. <laughs> but I love it. Then I see myself a lot like a, like a serial entrepreneur, you know? Yeah. So back then with Fetech, in my young days when I was 20 or so, it's like, oh, this is my baby. I can't ever let it go. Right now, I would, yeah, these babies growing and they could grow with somebody else. Somebody could, you know, shape them into something a lot more majestic than what I could probably give. So, yeah. Nice. We chained that out. And- yeah, it's funny that this is episode one of season two because it sounds a lot like my friend from episode one of season one. Right. Yeah. So, say he writes Alexis, you know, he... It's a serial entrepreneur himself. You guys have a lot of the similar traits. Okay. But I think DMBox was one of the most relaxed ones because it was fun. And I think this was my first look into the retail space for myself because like with the restaurant and a bar and ice cream parlors and stuff like that, this is actual product exchange. With Futech, it was non-tangible. It was a service exchange. DMBox was an actual beautiful pink box that I got to curate every single month with local designers, right? So I had to tour all over Trinidad. I had folks sending me stuff, even recommendations, you know, like maybe you should put this in the box this month. What's its theme this month? And I made a lot of connections that I still have up to this day. And the uptake on that was surprisingly really good as well. So you said this is a pink box. So this was a, this is a box for, for ladies. Yeah, but do you know what? The marketing slant of it was that, yes, we're looking for women as targeting women, but we're also targeting men. Like, we know that you forget. We know that you probably did something. You probably will do something in the future. So how about you do a subscription box? You sign up for a subscription from now. DM box subscription from now. And the 27th of every month, she's going to get this beautiful box of all these different gifts. So you're covering yourself like, oh, maybe it's her birthday. I don't know. Maybe it's just because. But what about my needs? Yeah, well, then you'll need to figure that out. Why does she subscribe to uh, some box? She needed to because there are a lot of them. Box like or something. We need to have a rum We need a rum box. We need to have Alina, you just gave me a business idea. We need to have a rum box. The legalities of it, you have to check into that, but a rum but, box for it. But running a subscription business, what are the challenges there, though? Because I see you've stopped running a business, so there, there must be a reason. Other than hopefully because it got bored of. No, I didn't. I didn't really get bored per se of um, forex, the foreign exchange situation that got really bad a few years back, and I don't think people were truly aware of how it was impacting the smaller PayPal-driven oh, yeah. businesses. So there are two things that really dampen the uptake of the box. The first one. We were only using PayPal. And the, PayPal actually charges a higher US yeah, rate than your bank would. Than, exactly. Yeah. So everything was embedded in the website, a very a cool, pretty cool website that had online e-commerce and everything like that. So online sign up and e-commerce and you pay and it's automatic. So I was losing out money. I was losing money for a minute. But again, it was like a, another project that I was like, this is really cool and it was relaxing. And I think I was going through some things at the time then. And I focused a lot of my energies on DM Box and 
Yeah, that was a big thing. The second thing, the platform. Yes, the actual product was a box of local products, but the problem really was getting some of the local, not all, some of the local vendors who really buy into it being more than just a buy and sell transaction for them to realize that this was in fact a marketing platform and also to understand the economies of scale and volume discounting. I'm not bad talking, I'm just, yeah. because if for instance, like my first couple of months I had like 100 persons buying into it, right? Which is good, right? I mean, from we, we just mentioned 100, 100 people, like it's nothing, but yeah. I mean, your first couple of months, you're a new business, yeah. you're starting off, you're, you're up the uphill climb of acquiring customers and boom, you got 100. So I mean, and the cost of acquisition, customer and it was kind of high because you're looking at all the sum costs and all of that because again you're coming into the market fresh right. and a new website and but those costs kind of level up as you go along right as time yeah, passes as right? time because it's just going to be the recurrent fees of like hosting or stuff like that a unit price by a hundred is what i was getting on invoices and i'm like you've never sold a hundred of these things before what is the volume discount or like negotiating with some of them was, was some of difficult but the majority of them was pretty good okay good lovely yeah so it's really about cost i needed to minimize cost and the forex really screwed me over right because i know that's what you used to do you would actually itemize the various items in the box yeah and show them the retail prices and you show your customers how would you how, how you much notice? money <laughs> listen you you're a tech big yeah <laughs> the internet <laughs> right you show customers how much money yeah. They are saving on each item yep. every month. Yeah. All right. I mean, your box was something like 60 US or 57, 57 US or 60 US per month. Right. And I guess typical subscription packages are more like 25 US. Yeah. I guess it's a whole different yeah, value you proposition. Yeah. Especially the ones in the US because it's like over, they're over 1400 back then. They were like 1400 um, subscription boxes like in the space. The main ones are like, Ipsy, and it's cheap makeup, more or less. You know, it's not really artisan products, per se. So it's not as so well, not really cheap makeup, but it's like stuff that volume, you know, right. like mascara and stuff like that. So it's not like... It's not a bespoke, any sort of... It's not like an immortal beauty. Yeah. Shout out to like, Catherine this. Yeah. Or a Rachel Rushford piece or, or anything like that, you know? So we really needed to minimize costs and also with PayPal. And a lot of small businesses need to understand how PayPal works. Cash flow can bring you to your needs as a small business. If someone sends you money as a business, as a merchant, you don't get the money immediately. It's 30 days reconciliation. So you better have money to pay for those vendors who ain't giving you a volume discount, you know? So... That is DM box. That was a good run. I enjoyed that. How long that run last? I don't know now, like three years. Three years. Three. Okay. So that's like as essentially you discovered about eight to nine years of entrepreneurship. Yeah, I had in your twenties. Yeah. Killing it. (laughs) High five. (laughs) All right. So then you went on to your current job, business development manager, and Massey Technologies. Yeah. Oh no, wait, I was doing Massey all along. No, not all along. I've been at Massey like five years. So a lot of these entrepreneurial stuff was a parallel rollout. Uh DM Box was definitely parallel. So you're running these you're running these businesses, you're you're dealing with your suppliers and customers, because I mean I, I looked at some blogs and I saw you had some that's some heat. Yeah. A little bit of heat. Yeah. But you had you had a lot of praise. You had a lot more praise than heat for what I saw, but you had some heat and what I realized is that when you're you start a business and when you get feedback from people and stuff, you get positive feedback from 98 people. Yeah. But the two negative ones, like for instance, this podcast, I got so much positive feedback. But then I released an episode in particular and one person, she said that this audio quality is terrible. Elena, listen, I did not sleep that night in. <laughs> I went back and re-edited it. I went and found some software, Google software and stuff, and I republished that episode. And going forward, every episode I edit, because I do my own production, I do my own editing. Yeah. I am not a, 
expert at this at all. I had to teach myself. You know, I had to go to, as my friend would say, he like to say, University of Google <laughs> and YouTube College <laughs> and teach myself how to edit podcasts and how to produce yeah. them and everything. But all I have to say, right. all I have to say is that the negative feedback makes you better. You take so much learnings from it and right. it makes your product so much better as you proceed. I agree. I think it's really important. And it, that's a really good indicator of the type of entrepreneur because it speaks to your character as well when it comes to how you deal with feedback. Some people, I can't stand the whole haters thing. Like some people would say, oh, if you don't have haters, it, it makes no sense. You don't refer to them as haters. Use them as fodder for self betterment. That's right. You don't say, oh, well, they just hate on me because they, no, they're not jealous. And even if they are, you don't have to get within that frequency, you know? To this day, I've gotten feedback about a lot of my endeavors. And I think it, it shows a lot of growth as well, especially on your part. Because you could have just blocked the person or, you know? But I think it's really important that you pull out the positive of the negative, from within the negative. Yeah. And what I do with the person who I got my negative feedback from, I try to get my episodes to her before I actually release to try and get that feedback. Makes sense. You know, it doesn't always work out, you know, I guess she's busy. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe she realized that the quality has improved so much that she don't really need to tell you anything to work on. Okay. That can be it too. My friend from New York, you know yourself, big up. All right, so this brings us to Tech B. Hashtag Tech B. Oh, no, wait, before we get to there, mm-hmm. we're still talking about Massey because I think Massey is a really important part. Because within, also within DM Box and Massey, there's also the MBA. I started the MBA, I was working at Massey as business staff manager for innovation and digital strategy. I'm in love with this with this position. Like it allows for me to just go wherever I want to go within different spaces of trends when it comes to ICT trends, like big data or weather or analytics, a really deep dive into cognitive, any sort of cognitive learnings, natural languages. Well, natural language processing. And I graduated. I can't remember dates, but it was a few years ago. With distinctions. And I started the Box. Okay. So we juggling. It's a woman's thing. So I was doing all those three. What's so refreshing is to hear you speak so lovingly about your current job. Yeah, for sure. While you're running business. Yeah. I don't have like a love-hate relationship with the, the company. I just know that research and development is a huge part of it. And they really invest in their people. They've invested in me. They expose me to so much. Yeah, so big up Massey. Right, Massey right. Technologies. I can help you like with discounts at motors or stores or anything. Well, like actually, I need a new car. No, so I can't help you with that. So, question from Zara Aline, who could not make it up Zara. today. Some people think that technology and especially social media can cause us to live in an eco chamber where we only see views and stories similar to our own. Now, I guess that's from where Zuckerberg's employees and stuff, they do their algorithms, right? Do you have any thoughts on how hashtag tech day is creating opportunity to avoid that? Okay. Thanks, Zara. This was a pretty good one. But... Again, like what I mentioned before, you would never see on the panel the same industry twice. So I really hope that TechBay can be used as a platform for multi-disciplines or cross-industries. Because again, the algorithms allow for... You see what you like and you see what your friends like and you see what your influencers within your circle or network likes. And this is an actual algorithm. It's not like, you know, by chance. So what we're doing is somewhat of a social experiment because we're bringing persons from beauty, from media, from publication, from health, from research, from history. And we're doing a snapshot of them at TechBay. So you're forced to hear the stories outside of your network. 
you know, because how often would he sit with Lara? Lara Control Thomas, who was on the last um, thing. How often would you get a one-on-one with Anya? And so I think a real life, not online, a face-to-face conversation and discussion and storytelling scene really brings us back to what's core to interaction, actual physical interaction. And I think that's what Sarah's asking. All right. So at what point, while conceptualizing tech, right, or you go through the motions or where you're poking your first panelist or so, mm-hmm. at what point did you get that, hey, I think I might be onto something, that kind of feeling? I always think I'm onto something. You have to be a bigger shell leader. That's you can't right. be going and saying, oh gosh, I wonder why. You know? <laughs> I always psych myself up every single day. Like, tech bay, again, was I bored? I was probably bored again. Most likely. Yeah. And I woke up one day and I said, you know what? I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to do, I'm going to just bring these ladies together and just talk. Basically staged within the existing landscape. And I'm not talking about technology. I'm talking about Trinidad and Tobago. I'm talking about regional and I'm talking about the new Trump world that everything is sensationalized or not, that everything is criminalized or not. And then even closer to home here in Trinidad and Tobago, that is a pretty shitty and scary place to be a woman right now. We needed to have the voices, like loud voices, just to bring people back to what Trinidad and Tobago is really about and to really show that there's still a lot of good things happening here in Trinidad and Tobago, that even though we're scared out of our minds at times, women that is, that we're still getting up every day and forging ahead. And that's why I use the word celebrate. We really have to celebrate that we're still <laughs> that we're still doing our thing, that we're still amazing and kicking ass and so yeah. About the whole we're onto something great here, I think like from the first day. And I started as when is when is this? We're in April now. The first one was in November. Literally, and I'm not lying. I thought about it in October. And in November, we had the first segment installment. Love it. Another question from Zara Aline, who could not be here. Shout out to Zara. Podcast will miss you. The Tech Bay panelists are such a diverse group of talented women. After hearing all of their amazing stories, are there any common threads or qualities that jump out at you personally? I think I say it every time in every single, because I step back in awe. Like, literally, I just look at my network, and I see, I don't know who I want to hear. And then I force it onto people. Like, y'all will come to Tech Bay and listen to these four people, because I want to hear their stories as well. But That's it's why always, I interview people on this podcast. Yeah, because you want to know, like, everybody else will find out about you. I think you're cool. Yeah, so, it's always passion. It's always drive. It's always that there's some badass women, like, just walking around us, like, so really the passion, drive, determination, and just sense of self. I think that's the main thing. Those four main things. You come to the installments and you actually hear it in their words because you can hear someone speak and you can know that it's just a regurgitation of what they've said before or just what they've convinced themselves into believing. And then sometimes you sit down and you hear people talk with such passion that you want to get up and do a business for yourself, you know? And... Yeah, I think that's the main thing, main thing for me. So if you look out one year, three years, five years, even ten years, what can we envision as a landscape for Tech Bay? Bring back Zara's question. (laughs) 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 Um, I always see Tech Bay as a community, as a space and a platform for women's voices and celebrating these stories. But I also see it as twofold as a marketing platform for these ladies as well. Some of them need it more than others. Some of them don't think that they do, which is not a bad thing, but it's just dependent on their fields. Like Lara probably really does need marketing per se because of her experience and stuff like that or her portfolio. But there are other more retail or, or transactional businesses that would require advertising per se. So one, I see it as a platform, a marketing platform for 
all of these stories and all of these businesses. Short term, I do see, obviously, uh, installment three successfully, but also my fourth installment is actually supposed to be a conference because that's going to be, it's going to be a year on the anniversary. It's going to be like a full conference where we bring some of these ladies back and give them a bigger stage. We're going to have like booths where we're going to have more of these persons going to have this, their stuff on display or for sale. So that's short term, but long term, I definitely see it develop into more of a movement. I think it already is a movement. Yeah, but I want the exclusivity of the location. Well, we're basically at Uncorked right now. Uncorked Wines and Spirits. Which is Dan Braffitt and his team. They're pretty cool. But what it is, it only allows for up to 40 persons max. And that was on purpose. We want to build this mystery around it or we really want people to reach out to us to be involved. So it's, it's not a, a get on a list or anything like that, but I really wanted to expand into a lot more voices being heard and us being seen as champions for these voices and champions for these stories. A lot of collaborations and more strategic partnerships, definitely. Because right now it's not about the money because... There's no money to be made. I just it's want a, to ask you that. Yes, it's a free thing. You know how they have like vanity projects? Like, you're doing this because, like, they say how Musk with his. Um, Tesla? Yeah, but the rocket that went out there, like, oh, some people are saying that, oh, this is a vanity project for him. This is definitely not like a vanity project for me. I think it's feeding, like, the universe needed to. F- I needed to feed my soul amidst the landscape that went. Yeah, I think I needed it for myself, and I just figured that maybe somebody else needed it as well to hear these voices again. But definitely on the medium term, strategic partnerships to allow for some sort of financial gains. Also, we're doing a coding camp in August. So we're partnering up with some secondary schools in Port of Spain. The goal is to expose 200 students here in Trinidad and Tobago to the world of programming and coding. Cool. I'm also doing a master's in data science currently. So I've partnered up with some folks outside of the University of the West Indies who would come and do the training. When... Caribbean Ivy League. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I am now at the Caribbean Ivy Yeah. I'm now at UE. So I'm really leveraging the relationships that I'm developing there. And a lot of these guys are really interested in coming in to train and we're using a solution out of the States that's been tried and true with five gold stars and curriculum is already prepared. The licenses is, is really good. So that is the short term because that's right a few months away. And These will be boys and girls, right? Yeah. So it'll be tech bees and tech boys. I think bees, and I, I think you could use B for, no one ever called you a B? Um, called you B? Well. B is... Nobody ever called me like a banker, B, but I mean. Well, no, but I think. Yeah, so it's it's not gender specific, but yeah, but 200 students in over a three week period. I'm very excited. And you're going to charge for this? Yeah, but it's going to be very minimal because we're trying to have. And we've already seen interest on the corporate level. So we're trying to get it as subsidized as, as possible. But I feel bad about charging, like, I have, I'm not in that space just yet to charge for. I think it is my duty, my civic duty. That's good. To expose That's... these children to coding. Like, why is it in the 21st century? Don't get me started on this, so you need to reel this back in. But in the 21st century, it's absolutely ridiculous that we are not exposing our children, K to 12, to coding. And we look out and we, we see all these kids outside doing this and they're building stuff and they're making money and have all these apps that they've built from scratch. And like, oh my God, I wonder how he had to be a prodigy. He's not a prodigy. It's just part of his curriculum. And I'm going to be the one who's making a change for that. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Don't get me started. I'm vexed right now because I am learning Python. Like, why am I, at this age, learning a new language? Like, a new coding language, you know? I don't know any. Uh, none at all? I, you I, see? I can do a web link in HTML. The that doesn't count. E-H-R-E-F-E-C-O-R. That doesn't count. What? No. 
podcast where she got me hung in my head now. No, but we have to do something else. And then we get upset when people say that we're in the third world. Or underdeveloped or developing or... I'm going to be responsible for training and exposing 200 children to Python. 200 children a year? 200 children for summer. And if I'm not... I don't like saying keep on saying bored because it's not me being bored, remember? Okay, podcast, well, it's not me that I'm bored. It's me that I, I step back and I realize you're watching too much of Golden Girls. Like, do something. Um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Like, for now, just the proof of concept is going to be like a, a summer camp. People pay like $800 to send a churn to learn football. No, send them to learn how to code. But you see how much money Bessie makes, right? One in a billion chance that you are the next Messi. Well, I mean, a lot one of guys in the World Cup. One <laughs> in a million chance that you're going to... Okay, you become the next Thompson. Good. Elite athlete. Let's do this. I was trying to be the next LeBron James, but I got a knee injury. One in 50. What? <laughs> I got a knee injury, so I can't even be the next LeBron James. <laughs> okay, so move from one in a million to, you know, a million, right. but coding opens up so many opportunities. I am at this age and I'm doing data science. Data science is programming and math, like raw statistics. And we're being exposed to a lot of things like in the US, there's a deficit of data scientists. So we're going to have 200 future leaders being exposed to programming and Lovely. So what I remember later is when I went to first tech bay and the second tech bay, what really got me excited is that when I went into the tech bay for the first time, complimentary wine. That was the takeaway from it? No, that was the takeaway, but yeah. I'm, getting, I'm getting to something important now. Right? Yeah. So was that from a sponsor or was that out of your pocket? Well, I have one sponsor right now and that's WePay. Okay, so you're six months in, and you already been able to land a sponsor. Well, let's be real about certain things, right? Okay, let's be real. It's very possible, and I think a couple of ladies spoke about it in yesterday's uh, tech week. You have to leverage your network. A lot of folks say, okay, I have a thousand people who are friends on Facebook, and everyone's liking my page, and it, that means nothing if you cannot quantify the likes. So the CEO of VP, Alwyn Wayne, uh, we actually grew up together. So he always spoke about working in the ice cream parlor and the restaurants growing up. Right. Well, he was working in his, his parents' businesses as well. And so I think it was the same sort of mentality that we had while everybody else was out playing. Like when we were really young, we were Nintendo. building businesses as well. I didn't know about Nintendo. I know about two scoops of ice cream was like for $5 or something, you know, back then. So yeah, and we've just kept in touch. We were actually pretty good friends. And I brought this to him on a very professional level. It wasn't like, you know, over drinks or... Well, a lot of these are made over drinks, but it wasn't like a boy, you know? I sent him a proposal. I sent him the different tranches or the different packages that were available. And he's like, wait, technology? You? Tech pay? Okay, cool. Where to send the money? Okay, so you didn't need to go and do a PowerPoint in front of him. Like it was a to... lot easier with that him than my father, yeah. So your father is a stranger to investor. Yep. I didn't even go to my father for this. This was just me doing like a, a this quick thing and truly believing in it. And I was able to convince Wayne and his company. And I guess Wayne, he is on board for the entire series, the four installments. He's on board for the coding camp. Yeah, and it's a young, a young brother who believes in bettering when I go to Tech Bay, the first time I went, it was me and two other guys. Last night, when I went, it was me and nine other guys. Fourteen other guys. Fourteen? It was fourteen of you. It was fourteen men in, in total. But maybe three left when I, by the time uh, I got there. But I saw ten other guys or so. And numerous women sitting right. down. It's a plan. What are you going to do to get more men involved in encouraging women in their quests and how they use technology in their various businesses. The series is not just about women who are in the tech space. It's yeah. about how they use technology yeah. in their various businesses. So you had a occupational health therapist, you had a event rentals person, you had a fashion designer, you had cosmetics person, Catherine is, big up. You had people across various industries. Yeah. 
They get more men to come across. Why do you think we need more men? So you don't need more men? No, no, no. I'm just asking. I'm just curious. So am, I, am I enough? Am I enough? No, like you yeah, no. I'm just curious as to... Because I think this will help me when I'm trying to... I think it's important as men to support our female counterparts right. in what they're doing. The same way we would want to support men in business. I like to support everybody in business. I love business, right? right? I mean, right now, this podcast is about black businesses, but I support all businesses, and I especially love smaller businesses. Right. right? I'm very passionate about that. So, I love tech. I guess I love women, too. <laughs> so, to me, it's like, why not? But I always look at why so few other men are there to support as well. So, that's why it's important to me. It's like, what is it that's stopping them from coming? Honestly, I think that the onus is on me, or at least the tech bay team, to just market it a little differently. I think right now, since it's a very niche market that we're targeting for this approach, it, it just so happens that it falls, like the 10 guys, or 10 plus guys or so, you all are somewhat connected to the network somehow. Because I haven't sponsored any ads, I haven't really pushed any heavy marketing. This is all hearsay, this is all Facebook, this is... 100% organic. And I think maybe the uptake, the male uptake, would probably be a lot higher if the marketing approach to target guys more often. But I do believe, I do, and I do understand, and I thoroughly believe that it's important for men to hear the stories as well. Because mm-hmm. I've had a lot of friends, and I'm watching all of them slight, like, why aren't you here? I don't care if you all like, just like the page, you'll need to come out as well. And they're like, oh, well, I think it's just women. It's not just women. The good thing you have friends like Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. We appreciate you. All right, podcast. We'll appreciate you too. But what I really like about your story, though, Elena, is that you have had several entrepreneurial ventures, right? And you've always consistently been brave enough to go from hashtag idea to action. Anybody who follows me on social <laughs> media know that's my hashtag. Even if it means doing something as a side hustle. When I say side hustle, I don't mean like a Hustle, hustle, yeah. I mean, like a side project, right? You definitely have that entrepreneurial zest blending nicely with the ability to carefully test and examine and do research and stuff. And even more importantly, which I think is that you have the ability and the discipline to get out when it's time to get out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I ain't about this. Yeah, because many entrepreneurs, they have this... This escalation bias. Oh my God. You know, things are going bad, but this is their project. This is their baby. Mm-hmm. So they just add more money, add more time to that losing position, to that losing business. Yeah. I'm not bothered like that. So you have any advice you could give to the audience as to what sort of system can be implemented, you know, to, to one, come up with the business idea, to decide which business idea is viable and easiest to implement. Because I'm sure many will come to mind. I'm sure not just one will come when you drive into Point Fortin <laughs> or while you're watching Golden Girls. And finally, actually taking action on the business idea that you decide to go forward with and avoiding that stage that many businesses stay in called analysis paralysis. I think it varies from product, from service, from industry, from different landscapes. But the best way, and there's really no way of getting around this, is researching and knowing your market. I think that's the first step. Because a lot of times, and I know you made mention of analysis paralysis, but you need to have some sort of analysis done, right? Yeah, for sure. So but what do I mean by analysis yeah. paralysis? Well, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know, what, I know what that is. But I'm thinking that it's really interesting that we convince ourselves that we are the biggest cheerleaders, our own cheerleaders. I've fallen victim to it too. Like, like, what? You don't want a subscription box? You don't understand what it means? Like, you don't think this is going to make a million dollars? We don't listen to the market to a large extent. We don't listen. First of all, we don't understand who our target market is. We don't understand how much or their propensity to spend on our proposed product or service. The fluctuations in that propensity, I guess. And that changes, again, on a lot of external factors. Like, look how Forex, just that Forex situation just came and threw my whole subscription model on its head. But I think you have to be true to yourself as well. Everyone, and I say this all the time, and I say this when I'm doing, like, mentorships or anything like that with kids. 
you have to be truthful. Everybody these days wants to be an entrepreneur. And the reality is not everyone is cut out to be an entrepreneur. Because not everyone is cut out to be a doctor. Not everyone is cut out to be a lawyer. Like, I don't even understand how they read that much. Like, it's okay to not be good at entrepreneurship. Now, innovation is a mentality as well. So I would strongly suggest that you read and you educate yourself and you just keep on being exposed to different things and different trends. But invest in your father money, like invest in your own money, going to the credit union, to the banks or whatever, and getting yourself in debt without doing the proper analysis. So besides the external market review, you have to take account of self as well. Like, do you have the qualities to drive? Can you can you take no? Like, you're going to hear a lot of no's. What does that no mean to you? Are you just going to hear the first no and you're just going to, it's, it's just going to shatter you and you're going to be so depressed that you can't get out of your bed anymore? Because trust me, you're going to hear no's like 50 times. And that's even before you start the business. Can you imagine when you set up shop, be it online, be it a brick and mortar, or even in the cabin studios. Or even in the cabin studio. You're going to get some feedback. And you have to be able to take the positive out of it and make changes. If you are not that type of person and you're not willing to learn from that, I don't think this is... And there's nothing wrong with it. Go and become a doctor. It's all right. So know your market. Know yourself. But even beyond research, when yeah. you think about you know testing, doing your... MVP, mm-hmm. you're doing your prototypes and all of that. I always advise clients when you look at the startup, the best thing you can do for yourself, I mean, yeah, the business plan is good, it's yeah. good to pitch the daddy and everything, right? But after you get that first little bit of seed money and everything, or even before that, best thing you can do for yourself is do a payables minimum, yeah. test your product, see, yeah, see if you get some sort of traction. See, you're searching for that moment that I asked you about earlier, searching for that moment and say, hey, I'm onto something here. Look at this. Look at these results. From then, it just becomes so much easier. Yeah. I don't believe in business plans at all. I think there are two things that you could definitely do. It's called the business canvas, which basically breaks down every single part of the business on one page. You don't need 400 pages of, you know, for a business plan these days. But you couple that with the lean approach or the lean strategy and you start off with what you have. So that makes sense. Like, you do a proof of concept almost. Right. So you don't go to daddy. You don't go to the banks just yet. You know you can't afford to have one guy with a snow cone cut outside of QRC and get feedback one time right there. Or CIC. You know? Or CIC. Make up CIC always. I, no. Um, so yeah, that's what I, I truly believe in a lean approach. Tech Bay is lean. DM box was leanish. Fitech was extremely capital intensive because again that was a brick and mortar. My next thing is probably going to be an online something, you know. Yeah, that's going to just be hosting that. Yeah, I mean your tech day. I mean, yeah, online is definitely the way to go. Online is yeah. the future. Online is definitely. the easiest way to get to people worldwide. Yeah, I have listeners in countries I didn't even know about <laughs> what, before I started. You didn't know about them, or you didn't know about the country. I didn't know about the country. Burundi. <laughs> Big up to all of you guys in Burundi and Mali and um, Algeria. Yeah. These places in Africa that I did not know about. But shout about the same way. All right. So we are looking to wrap up here. Already? So where can podcasts will find you for tips and mentorship? You can get me at Elena at techbaytt.com. You can like us on Facebook, techbaytt, on Instagram. TechBayTT, everything TechBayTT, you know. The website is going to be up. So this is April. The website is going to be up in a couple of days. So we're open to mentorship. We're open to up the islands because we're looking at Jamaica and Barbados. Uh, yeah, there's a, lo- a lot of things in store. Lovely. All right. Alina, thanks a lot. Podcast will thank you for listening to Caribbean Power Lunch. If you enjoyed this episode, hit Elena up. Give her thanks. It's Zara up too. She sent in some questions. Give us a five-star rating in iTunes or Stitcher. You can show us some love on our Facebook and Instagram 
at Caribbean Power Lunch. You can email me at Kevin at CaribbeanPowerLunch.com. I will respond. But the best thing you can do, the absolute best thing you can do for us, podcast will, is to share us with the world. Until next time, Kevin Studios, we are out.